the RTE Running Podcast with Brian O'Connell. Hello there, welcome back to The Running Podcast with me, Brian O'Connell. Hope you're all well. Weather-wise, what a week for running. I don't know if many of you are out and about, but I can tell you, we got battered with all sorts of rain, wind, snow at some point. It really was a tough, tough week to be out there on the roads running-wise, but uh, then you get to the end of it. You kind of feel great for it. You feel like you've achieved something in tough conditions. Um, And I suppose it is the... One drawback I think I'm beginning to realise of training for an early spring marathon is that there's just no avoiding January and February. you got to just get out there, layer up, stick on the hat. Uh, this week I have two people to talk to. One is someone we've heard from already on the podcast. First person up is somebody that we haven't heard from, Trevor Cummins, who is a marathon specialist, goes under the business name Train with Trevor. And he is someone I came across a couple of years ago, went through some significant lifestyle changes and has found that running for him was a way to navigate out of that period of his life, which was chaotic, he would say, and into a part of his life now where running has become a really integral uh, to his health, to his well-being, to his um, positive mental health. So that's Trevor Cummins. Um, he will be first up. And then we have our, our old friend Mary Jennings. Uh, Forget the Gym is her is her business name. She is all about uh, getting people uh, out and running. Uh, she writes a weekly column in, in the Irish Times. And since I had her on a couple of weeks back, Um, There was a couple of questions came in for Mary. So she's on towards the end of the podcast this week, just answering a few queries. So that's that's the plan for this week. Thank you all for getting in touch. Thanks for all your questions for Mary Jennings. As I said, we will start with Trevor Cummins. He is someone whose story uh, I connected with, given that I would have had experience of of a lot of what he was talking about myself and my own past. um, Something I've written about. I am 20. 19 years yeah 19 years I think I haven't I haven't drank alcohol and definitely I can see how running or fitness or exercise is or should at least form a part of anyone's recovery be it from mental health or addiction or any issues like that it, it, there is a focus on it now in recovery uh, I did a report in in the last year or two on a boxing uh, group in Cork, people who are either in addiction or coming out of addiction or in recovery and they're using boxing program to um, help maintain a really good recovery. So you can see the benefits of of exercise essentially in transitioning out of a difficult period in anyone's life. So Trevor Cummings trained with Trevor's his company and I began by asking Trevor, why does he run? I think because it's the one constant that you can find in your life. Uh, while everything else can get a little bit crazy on a day-to-day basis, getting out the door for an hour each day and just running, it uh, offers a peace of mind, I suppose, that I can't find elsewhere in life. And when did you make that connection with running? Be close to 10 years ago now, um, while I would always have been involved in sport as a youngster, drifted away from it then through my 20s and 30s, and when I needed that sort of reboot on lifestyle I guess running seemed to be something that I was um, comfortable doing 
Um, and so did the lifestyle reboot come first, or did the running come first? Lifestyle reboot first. Uh, so I went to the gym. I was working in Apple at the time, and uh, a girl by the name of Katie, who's still a good friend of mine, would have taken me on board uh, for some personal training. And she discovered quickly enough that while my um, my strength was very underdeveloped, my aerobic capacity was quite quite okay. So she just sort of encouraged me to um, do a little bit of running outside of the gym, and we'd work on a little bit of strength inside, and it went from there pretty much. And in terms of lifestyle reboot, because we all experience our twenties and thirties, and you know, some of us experienced them to, to the fullest, I suppose. Was that what it was, Trevor? Or was it just that you hadn't put any emphasis on fitness? Like that wasn't part of your agenda at all? Yeah, I suppose I had always maintained, despite a pretty crazy lifestyle, I suppose I had always maintained some amount of exercise. Played a bit of five-a-side football. Um, but on the other side then, you know, following the football, I'd, I'd spent a little bit of longer than average time in the pub and um, that sort of just compounded itself through 20s, 30s, was fond of a drink, didn't really have much else in terms of, uh, you know, an, a, a social outing. Um, I just, like I suppose, like you often hear many other people say, I just didn't know when to stop, I suppose. I was just a bit too fond of it. But eventually, I think, you know, the impact it's having on yourself, but others most importantly close to you, um, that can be really damaging, you know, and it got to a point where there wasn't much of a future between, we'd say, me and my now wife, um, who's very patient and understanding. Um, still is. Still is, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So how did you stop? I guess it was just a case of cold turkey, really, yeah, yeah. And um, Went off the cliff edge? Went off the cliff edge around about April. It was Fool's Day, actually. It was the first start of day, clean and dry. April Fool's Day, uh, two thousand and thirteen. So all going to plan. It will be ten years next year. And um, yeah, quickly. I suppose very fortunate. It has to be said that because of my parents' positive encouragement towards sport when I was younger, I always knew the value of exercise and sport. So I was able to start to come back around into that pretty quickly. Um, and that was key for you. You think in terms of staying away from alcohol, for example. I'd say so. Yeah. I had a lot of cakes at the start, <laughs> a lot of cakes, a lot of sort of binging on food. Um, I guess, you know, you suppose you, you, you had drink all the time to let your hair down to, and now you didn't, so you had to find something else. Then you quickly realise that that's not going to really be sustainable. So, um, yeah, the sort of penny dropped then, right? Better start doing a bit of exercise, got in, and then sort of one thing led to another, and I suppose really fortunate in the exercise moving into running, moving into sort of focusing on performance within running. I've always had good qualified people to sort of guide me along the way and I guess that's... But it's funny how many people I meet, I met a, I mean, I, I was kind of almost making a joke on the podcast in, in recent weeks that it's like the back bar of a nightclub I used to go to in the 90s now when I, in Sir Henry's nightclub, when, I st when I'm at a start line at certain races, I look around and I say, oh yeah, I used to remember you, I used to remember you. It's funny, isn't it, how people are, are looking for a different kind of a high, I suppose, now. Yeah, yeah, I get that too. I encounter certain faces that I would have seen back in the day and it's, uh, you can see the, the smile on people's faces, the, the hope in their heart that they, they got out alive, sort of almost, you know. For anything that I dabbled in when I was younger and the, the highs, the drink or anything else might give you 
I honestly don't think anything matches what running and you know living life to the full brings, and it's a, it's an amazing thing. And having that calm headspace. Absolutely, running can sort out lots of things. You know, um, you might go out, you know, a bit scrambled some mornings, and uh, it's not that you come back and your life is perfect afterwards once you take the runners off, but you start to in some way eased some of the stress that's gone on, and that's good. And, yeah, because unlike you, like I, I obviously went to, to rehab 20 years ago and there wasn't, like there was emphasis on your recovery and staying away from pubs and going to AA meetings, 90 meetings in 90 days, I think is what they prescribed. And for some people that absolutely works. Mm. It wasn't my path, but there wasn't as much emphasis on fitness and health. And I think looking back, that's probably where maybe they could have diverted some of the anxiety some of the tension some of the boredom mm, i see they do now like i see a lot definitely. of emphasis on that now in recovery yeah and and you wonder too while obviously it's very beneficial to people who are in recovery if we were placing the same focus on those important aspects of sport and exercise can develop in the early stage of someone's life i'm fortunate enough to do a lot of work at schools over the last while be it exercise be it athletics focused um, and it's amazing, you know, the wide range of, I suppose, abilities, uh, involvement, the, the amount of kids that are coming in and for one reason or another, they're, they're dependent basically on their school, providing them with that exercise hit. They mightn't be involved with a sports club, might necessarily get the encouragement from home. Um, I think if we could put a lot of that um, before the problem. Yeah, we mightn't have so much of an issue, you know. It seems a bit of a no-brainer, and that's certainly what came through when I was in Mount Joy two weeks ago. I think. Um, how do you prevent exercise becoming an obsession, <laughs> or is it too late? I think uh, you need to have plenty of other things going on in your life, don't you? Yeah. It can't just be about the one thing. I think the enjoyment factor is going to dwindle eventually. You're going to get sick of it. Other people are going to get sick of listening to you talking about it. <laughs> um, we enjoy lots of different sports, going out, watching other people, getting involved We were just talking about Cove Ramblers, so you follow the Ramblers. Mixing What's the plan for Boston? So what are you going for? Boston, um, good run. I'm looking forward to going. And um, really, first time stateside, so that's exciting. Bringing a family with us, so the two boys and my wife will be there. Uh, be interesting to take on a course of the, the, the Boston nature with its hills and so on um, I've mainly targeted flat marathons up until now um, but this will be something different I suppose your PB is? 2.37 okay. yeah. so it'll be interesting to see will I be able to chip a bit of time off that I suppose when we sat down at the start of the year with my coach Emmett Dunleavy we would have planned out I suppose the, the 12 months and looked at Boston as the the spring focus, but then Valencia in December as the uh, as as the probably the main target of the year realistically. So you do two marathons this year. Two this year and have done for the last year or two. Um, probably go back to one next year. I think it's a it's a bit of an ask. Um, the winter training isn't something that I'd enjoy. It's a funny thing. I kind of enjoy the hardship of it sometimes, like Sunday morning. Yeah. or Saturday morning this week with 20 miles and at the end obviously during it you're thinking this is absolutely horrendous the wind yeah. the rain but it then is. afterwards you get a bit more of a buzz off it you do you do I think you do like and look you've probably experienced it too though which children coming through and you know they take up a little bit more time and our two boys you know they're getting involved in sports themselves and you have to have, find a balance don't you you know and the intensity that 
I enjoy bringing to the marathon and the, the training, um, you can only maintain that for so long throughout yeah. the year. Yeah. Um, and I think you have to be respectful of it too, that if you want to keep making progress, keep getting the same enjoyment out of it, keep taking, I suppose, you know, a respectful amount of the family time as well to commit yeah. to it. You, you just need to be mindful of that, I think, all the time. The biggest thing you've learned, Trevor, in terms of injury prevention, what has it been? Take your time. No matter what stage you're at, just take your time, you know. People get involved in something, they um, they get good feedback initially, and that spurs them on often into overdrive. Um, and uh, a coach of mine also, Adam, Adam McCarthy, strength coach, that helps me out. Adam often says, you know, um, go slow. You learn more when you're going slower um, and you'll achieve more in the long run as well. Those that are fastest off the line don't often get to the, the finish line, you know, so take your time. Um, What's your mileage a week at the moment? Just shy of 100 kilometers, yeah, which is a little bit on the low side for me going into... What's that in miles? Going into Boston. Um, so 100k is, um, if you're talking about 10k, six, six, just um, over six, yeah. yeah. So um, a bit shyer than I probably have um, been able to achieve in previous marathon campaigns. Um, got a little bit sick about a month ago. Uh, normally sickness might cost me maybe two to three or four days training. This was a little bit longer and um, interesting how I have begun tracking um, my heart rate variability, which you might have heard of. Uh, which I don't do, but everybody tells me there's huge benefits in it. Yeah, interesting um, addition, I suppose, to the, the training picture for myself over the last while. And now people I'm coaching also, I have them monitoring it from the point of view of just readiness to train. So heart rate variability is basically the, um, the time uh, between each of your heartbeats, which can actually fluctuate. Um, and then the app that we use, HRV for training, that basically converts your data into a, a readiness to train score. Um, as my coach Emmett would often point towards the fact, I suppose, that it doesn't often tell us something that we don't know out of the blue. Instinctively, your body kind of knows. If and you know, when you're in that sort of 50-50, I'm not probably feeling 100% today. Will I go out and train or will I do that session? This is often a good confirming note then to tell you yay or nay and um to, to anyone who might be struggling out there what, what advice would you give to them i think there's always hope anyway right there's always somebody out there that that cares for you that 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 thinks you're worth you know fighting for sticking at it so that that has to be the first step for anybody that wants to turn a corner isn't it and, and understand that it's a it's a long road isn't it we're all on long roads like yeah you know? and uh, they all look different they all have different starting finishing points they take different twists and turns but you know you get on the road like get on the road take that step the next step um, and listen if you can use exercise or better still running as part as a vehicle to get you where you need to go to yeah you won't you won't go wrong with it you know the rte running podcast so that was trevor Cummins there and best of luck to him in boston um having followed him over the last few races uh, i'd say he's going to do a, a really good marathon and set himself up really well for an even better time later in the year uh, in valencia i think he said yeah 
nice place to go in December for a run, isn't it? Valencia. Um, now, coming up, finally, we have Mary Jennings, as I said, from Forget the Gym. And she's all about encouraging people, as we know, to get out, to get running. She's got a really good attitude towards it. And she was first on, uh, I think, the first week of the podcast I had her on. A number of questions have come in for Mary, uh, beginning with someone who messaged me on Instagram and wanted to ask Mary Jennings about breathing techniques whilst running. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because I suppose breathing, it's, it's one of the big, it's like the new core training now. There's a lot of talk about breathing, both in recreational running circles, but also at the top level. And um, what I encourage people to do as much as possible is breathe through their nose, which freaks a lot of people out. And um, if you're interested in finding more about it, there's actually an Irish guy who's written a very interesting a couple of books, um, Patrick McKeown and Oxygen Advantage is, is one of the breathing techniques. And there are coaches in Ireland around it if you want to go well into the detail. But in terms of the very practical, what I would do with beginners starting out and, you know, more of the rest of us is start by walking or even sitting down with your mouth closed and getting used to breathing in and out through your nose. Now, there's loads of benefits and I'm not going to be able to list them all here. But the main thing is when you breathe through your nose, you're warming the air, you're sterilizing the air. Um, and they, they talk about your your nose being for breathing and your mouth being for eating. Now, there's um, what happens, of course, when you breathe through your nose is that you might not be able to go as fast as if you're breathing through your nose and your mouth. You're not panting, but you're also not losing the moisture through your mouth as you breathe out. So as I would practice with the people I'd say be of training for their first 5K or even when you go out the door any day, try and start your run. So it's almost part of your warm up with breathing through your nose. So start by walking, start by breathing through your nose. And if you can do it kind of walking, standing still, ease into it in a slow run, it'll stop you taking off like a lunatic for the first couple of minutes and then being out of breath. So it's quite meditative and it's quite nice. It's certainly worth trying. Don't um, dismiss it if you think, oh, I can't do that. You just start slowly into it. And it's going back to that beginner's mind of stop and walk and go again. So what I find for a lot of people, it eases them in, kind of almost wakes up their breath, gets them going. There's loads of more science benefits, which you can look into. But in just in terms of helping us relax into a run and settle into a run. The other thing I would see without doing any particular technique is a lot of people like that don't warm up in general or just hit the road running. They go out and they expect to run their first couple of minutes the same speed as their last couple of minutes and they find breathing hard. Um, so it's kind of just to use your breath as a gauge rather than using your watch as a gauge, I think, some of the time. Um, and certainly I know, say, people who would start as a beginner in a class or, you know, a program that I do might say, oh, I've started doing couch to 5K or things like that. But I just get so out of breath. And the biggest lesson or the biggest revelation they have is that oh, I can just slow down, <laughs> you know, because um, yeah. a lot of people think they need to look like a runner. They need to look like they're sprinting when actually when you're starting out whether you're starting out as a new runner or whether you're just starting your run whatever you're you're kind of comforted you need to feel comfortable and give your body I suppose room to breathe posture is another element of it as well I suppose that's the other thing I would say if you're running tall if you're bent over you're reducing your lung capacity and that would have come from a lot of the technique stuff I know you had Katrina on Katrina McKiernan on and myself we would have coached before on um uh, running techniques like that was over you lengthen your posture um, and let give room for your lungs so to speak as well so there's a few elements slow your pace think of your posture and kind of don't feel like you need to be running for a bus the whole time <laughs> i find the hardest part is the start and the first half mile and you're trying to regulate and you've obviously got mm -hmm. the nerves and adrenaline and all the rest of it so that to me is almost i'm there's all that nervous energy i suppose and and it does impact my breathing but i guess you just get used to that after a while i suppose yeah i think it's it's try and imagine 
your run starting five or 10 minutes before you start your run in the sense that what if you consider your warm up as the time where you get that out of you um, in sense of like, I'm getting my gear on. So I'm even mentally without physically jumping. What is the purpose of my um, run today? What am I hoping to get out of my run today? How am I feeling in my body? Can I relax? Can I settle into it and then move into like a dynamic warm up or a mobility where even if it's not part of your run at the moment, it's something you can settle in, you know, and you can kind of just say, OK, this is how I'm feeling. This is how I'm going. And then as you start moving in and walking into your run and easing into your run, some of that energy might settle or you might just get yourself in the right frame of mind. Because what happens a lot of us is we go straight from whatever we're doing into straight into running without even thinking how our body's feeling. So we're nearly half sitting down when we're still still running. And it can kind of um, it can kind of, I suppose, a nice transition between the two can help the, the feeling of the first few minutes of your run feel easier. Um, I had a question from a coach who was asking, is it possible to coach athletes to a higher level of performance than you achieved yourself? Or do you have to have experienced it to coach it? That's interesting. I suppose most of the people I coach would have come from maybe not necessarily very sporty backgrounds or anything like that. I'm not training anyone now for the Olympics or anything like that. Maybe this is a better question for someone who, asked, who is a high performance coach. But I suppose as a coach, Think about what your role is. I mean, there's lots of different types of coaching. I would say my coaching is much more about possibly more like motivation and minding yourself and looking after yourself more that side than trying to knock a minute off your 5K time. Um, I suppose a lot of it depends on the education you have or the experience of other athletes you work with. But, um, you know, you don't need to be able to outrun all your runners. I have plenty of the people who run with me who um, are currently running longer or faster than I am. But I've done some of those things in the past, um, but not always to the same beat. I mean, the same skills, different people have different things they bring to coaching. And it's probably if you're if this is talking about a coach with their own insecurities of thinking, um, can I do it? Can I not? Think about what are you offering as a coach? Not everyone needs the same type of coaching. Some people do need the motivation. Some people have lots of motivation and they just want a very strict scheduled training plan. And um, I tend to attract the people who need a bit more of a kick out the door than yeah. uh, just, uh, uh, you know, extra speed. So I think uh, we all find our people. Somebody had a query in relation to heart rate monitors and monitoring your heart rate and whether you should be really led by your heart rate in terms of your training schedule. I know now some of the watches I would have a Garmin 645 watch and it obviously can monitor your heart rate. But a lot of people would say if you really want to go down this road, you need a separate heart rate monitor. You know what? It's something I've kind of delved in and out of. I'm no expert in it. I'm not going to pretend that I am. What I use instead of a lot of technology is actually going back to the breath that we spoke about a minute ago. If you're, you know, that, you know, by breathing through your nose, by kind of regulating your breathing that way, that can help, you know, with your your, your heart rate and everything like that. So I, I, I'm i going to not kind of give you a roundabout answer here, but I haven't done enough training myself with heart rate monitoring and to see what the technology and how much it yeah. has moved. Some people swear like a by politician, it. politician, Mary. Well, not really. I just don't know <laughs> enough. I could, I could say it's... I could say it works for some people and not others, and that is true, but yeah. um, it, it hasn't been something I have given enough attention to, to be able yeah. to, to recommend. Just in terms of marathon prep, so with the group I'm with, we are four weeks out this weekend. What do we do in the next four weeks? I suppose we don't change a whole lot, really. Isn't that the first thing? You don't take up, you know, kickboxing or, <laughs> or something like that you know um yeah you kind of I think the first thing to do which a really nice thing to do is to always keep looking over what you have done 
as opposed to what you haven't done. Because now it gets to the point where you start thinking, oh yeah, so-and-so did 22 miles and I only only did 19. And you start even doubting little things like that. So I think consolidating your training, both whether it's on paper or mentally or whatever, to think I've done all this and where I'm at now and kind of taking that as a basis of where you're going forward. Um, For the people I would train for the marathon, I would be saying your last long run um, three weeks beforehand and then winding down, like say to half marathon distance, two weeks beforehand. 10k the weekend beforehand so almost your tapering starting three weeks out so you're, you're kind of heading into your last long run if that's right or your last one or two long runs so my advice generally for people at that is that's they're the runs to kind of try out your race day they're the ones to go at have your breakfast at the time you'll think you'll probably have your breakfast on your race day have the food i know you're going away so even thinking about well, yeah. what will i actually eat am i going to depend on what's in the hotel over there or am i going to bring my packet of porridge to add milk or water to when I'm there so it's almost visualizing your race day and how much of that can you mirror in your next couple of long runs so that there's less um uncertainty in that so if you think you know at top level they have their people helping them do these things you are your own coach you your own wingman you know you need to think what uncertainty or what doubts can I get out of the way now by practicing my last couple of long runs as if they were the race day um and even there's a lovely image it's years and years ago we started doing this one of the girls who was training with us printed out her route map and you know she was able to visualize okay say I'm doing 20 miles on my last long run and picturing the route getting a highlighter pen and say oh my god I've done those last 20 miles and then on the last weekend before when she was doing her last 10k highlighted in those last 10k uh, you know just to kind of get your head in the zone of of your marathon be it Rotterdam or wherever you're going and try not to take new advice on from anyone else as I give you advice <laughs> you know <laughs> I suppose you, Mary, everyone has ways of training you know exactly. and you know don't try and change anything up now you've come this far when we spoke last you were half injured and you weren't sure how you're going to get on so it's just to be really appreciative of how well it's gone in the last um, six or seven weeks no and funny I, I, I did that earlier this week I was just looking back at the long runs just to remind myself over the last seven or eight weeks or whatever um, and yeah, you'd be kind of pleasantly surprised. You can see the improvement over those seven or eight weeks and how much more manageable the, run, the long runs become. And you're right. You have to keep telling yourself that, don't you? Yeah. Oh, no, do because there's plenty of doubts. You can doubt everything right up. But that's why I do find having it on paper is something you can read back. So you're not depending on, you know, getting it out of your head when you need it most. And also trying to get excited about it, too, and um, like take the pressure off yourself of it having to perform. I think having at this stage, having a plan A or a plan B, like think about the things that you're worrying about now. Or, or even go on a week or two from now you think thinking oh what if this happens or that happens or the other happens yeah. like you know what if my runners I, get lost in in the airport so, so it's like <laughs> put my runners in my hand luggage you know like it's it's yeah. answer all the worries you have by doing something practical to to overcome yeah. them and oh, then there's less things to worry about but they'll have to prize the carbon runners out of my hands at the <laughs> tell me the, the one thing i am slightly i wouldn't say worried but wondering about is weather conditions so i've obviously trained in the winter here in some horrendous conditions and there's a chance it could be 20 degrees in Rotterdam in mid-April yeah um, so you, I guess just take on extra water isn't it yeah I think it's been practical about what you wear and what you bring like bring your extra layers that you can throw away at the start if you need to if the weather is that I mean the one thing you have I think I don't know if Rotterdam is quite exposed there by the coast it might be it's certainly flat <laughs> so you have those things to go on your side but Bear in mind that everyone else is going to have the same weather things. You know, you can only prepare so much. If you're there a couple of days in advance, you kind of acclimatize a tiny bit. But it's not going to be 
too massive a difference. But yeah, you just have to adapt to your condition. You know, it could be the opposite way. You could have hail and wind and rain. And then how do you adapt to that? You can only go with what's there. Um, and I suppose it's having that acceptance that, and this is a hard thing for a lot of people, you know, you're gearing up for one event. What if something does go wrong? And it's it's worth yeah. as long as we, we don't want to think about that but if you can say in yourself like I've you know when I'm training my gang now we'll start in for it next month for Dublin we'll have a list of things of 20 things that could go wrong and what am I going to do if they happen so it's almost making the decision now rather than at 15 months so you've kind of okay I've made my peace with that so like that say what if it's 20 degrees so I know what I'm going to do I'm going to keep out of the sun while I'm warming up if I can I'm going to you know have my drinks be more mindful of my fluids. I'm going to run in the shade whenever I can. I'm going to slow my pace should I need to, you know, and, and be open-minded to having to adapt to conditions rather than having to make a rash decision at 18 miles. And then the final question someone had, Mary, they were asking, do you recommend people run with a pacing group? So just for people, I suppose, who wouldn't know, in a lot of races around the country, you'll have a pacing group, maybe might be 20 minute for a 5K, 25 minute, whatever it is. Should, would you recommend that usually? Do you mean for your marathon or in runs in general? Sorry, my dog just tried to take a basket. Stop it. <laughs> I think pacers are brilliant. and I, I admire them all because the pressure to run a race at a certain time is no joke. And I know some of them, they're just amazing, the work they do. Um, for me personally, it would depend on the vo like the amount of people running a particular event. Um, so, for example, if I think of the big city events and the big marathons and things like that, say four hour or five hour or three hour for that matter. I, I've never followed a three hour pacer, but certainly I follow the other two. And it, you're kind of if you're very close to the pacer, so are a lot of other people, you know, so you can be nearly tripping over people trying yeah. to stay beside the pacer. I personally would recommend certainly for maybe the first half of your run to run maybe 100 200 meters behind them so they're within your distance but you're not tripping over them or you're not because some pacers can kind of go faster up a hill or some can stay on eat or sorry go slower yeah. up the hill and faster in the down others can stay uneven but if you kind of know i'm kind of i have them in my distance they're just there then when you get to the second half of run when dare i say it there's less people with the pacer as some people yeah. have dropped off or, or moved on for that matter they can be great motivation in the second half when you have a smaller group with them there. They still have the energy to chat and have the crack when you might yeah. have. So falling in with them then in the second half might be easier. They're great. I know for certain for long distance, I'd always have the mentality of, OK, once I keep between these two pacers, because they often have them every 10 minutes, I'm fairly comfortable. But having the pressure to keep at exact pace as someone else is not great because we all have ups and downs. I find along the way that once you're generally there or thereabouts with them, they're a great marker. And then when you need that extra boost of energy or chat or motivation, pile in beside them and they'll be full of be full of the good stuff for you and I think a good pacer is somebody who really know the route and be telling you you know we've got a half a mile of hills coming up here then we can relax then we've got a really sharp right turn just be careful on this part you know what I mean like yeah it depends on their level of knowledge sometimes doesn't it it does for sure and also I mean it does and it depends of who else is in the pacing group as well too you know their voice can only carry so far so if you're yeah. like straining your ear to hear what they're saying and a trip up or something like that it's trying to balance against that but absolutely and most of the pacers you will get an opportunity certainly in the big races to chat to them before they start to find out what their strategy is going to be yeah. and even at some of the big races where they have the race expos you know where you're going to collect your number you can actually talk to them there yeah. and they'll explain this is going to be our strategy and this is how we're going to do it Great stuff, Mary. I think that's it for this week. Thanks so much for taking the time out and uh, might chat to you a couple of weeks' time, maybe the week after the marathon. Perfect. Well, good luck for the tapering and uh, I'm always here if you want to chat in the meantime. Yeah, great stuff. Don't say that. I'll be ringing you in the dead of night. Great stuff. Thanks, Mel, Mary.
RTE Running Podcast. So that's about it for this week. Thanks to both of my contributors, Trevor and Mary. Thank you all for listening. I am um, off the clear for a couple of days at the weekend, so I'll probably get in a couple of runs down there. I began running again about five years ago, four years ago, I think, with my sister Aoife, and we did a park run together in Ennis. I think I did it in like 29 minutes or something. That really, I think, kick-started my re-engagement with running. So I think when I'm down in Ennis this weekend, I'm going to have a bit of fun and run the park run on Saturday morning. I haven't done a park run in so long. but I mean, it is one of the drawbacks, I think, of being on a, a training programme. It's hard to to fit in a, a spontaneous run like that. So we're we're going to gonna run it together on Saturday morning in Ennis and... Apart from that, there's there's four weeks for me to go for this marathon. There's maybe one twenty mile, one eighteen mile, light enough this week, and then a taper week, and and that is it. Mind yourself if you're going out on the roads running, and I will chat to you next week. The RTE Running Podcast with Brian O'Connell.